0: I should mention we had 19 19 people, families, 19 families from our church blessed with uh, blessing boxes that are going out this week. I was in there watching the packing process. They did a great job. Okay. Acts 28, 11 through 31. It only took us 11 months. Amen? You see, only 11 months to get through the book of Acts. And if you remember, when we started, I said, if you flip to the front, what does it say? The Acts of the Apostles. And in my very first sermon, I said, really, it needs to be named the Acts of Jesus Christ through the Apostles. Because the apostles never took anything as far as credit for what happened. When they would heal, they would heal in the name of Jesus. When they were persecuted, they praised God that they were counted worthy to be persecuted in the name of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And when we come to the end of chapter 28, you kind of go... Huh? It's, we just get dropped. Paul's still in prison. What's going on? And I believe Luke did it for a reason. Remember, this is the second letter that Luke wrote. The first letter was. The Gospel of Luke. And he wrote it to Theophilus. He says, I want you to know what's going on. And then he wrote the book of Acts. This is another letter for you that I want you to see what happened. And I believe that Luke had intended to write the next chapter. But he never got to. Because the reality is it hasn't stopped From the moment that the church was started until the moment the church is taken up into heaven, this chapter is still being written. And it's being written in our lives. So let's look at this last part of the chapter 28 and see what God has to say to us. Verses 11 through 15. Come on. All right. It is on. There we go. No, now, we're, now we're way past. There we go. 11 through 15. At the end of three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead And we put in at Syracuse and we stayed there for three days. And from there we sailed around and arrived at Regum. And a day later, a south wind sprang up and on the second day we came to Petuli. And there we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when, we, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius and the three ends to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Paul ends his voyage. They leave. They're, they've been in Malta, where they shipwrecked wintered there and caught another Alexandrian wheat ship on its way to Rome. And they sailed up into Sicily through the little gap right there between Italy and Sicily. And they landed on shore and then they began a little foot walk up here to get to Rome. And they stopped in a couple places. And there were believers along the way. Isn't that exciting? Paul had never been to Rome, but Paul had always wanted to go to Rome. Matter of fact, Paul had written a letter to the Romans. Right? The book of Romans. He wrote while he was at Corinth, and he wrote, it, he wrote to the... Believers. You see, there were already Christians there. A matter of fact, Aquila and Priscilla, two of his people that he trusted to carry the gospel, a young couple to carry the gospel, came from Rome. There were believers there, and Paul wrote to them. And in chapter 16 of Romans, he, he lists a host of brothers and sisters. In Rome. And now as Paul gets close to Rome, word gets out. The apostle Paul's coming. We, let's go see him. Yeah, he's, he's under Roman guard, but maybe, maybe we'll have an opportunity to talk to Paul. They've never met him unless they traveled through one of the places that he had preached And it's one of those things where, you know, you can be, you ever, you ever had somebody that you met for the first time that was another believer, and all of a sudden it was like you were lifelong friends? You ever had that happen to you? I remember the first time I landed in Haiti, and I met Pastor Roro. And I, you would have thought we were best friends for life. Boy, he came up and he threw his arms around me. Pastor Ben! Well, I wasn't a pastor then. Elder Ben! Thank you for coming. Thank you for bringing your team. And then I, I watched him. As, as He did that with everybody. The guy never met somebody that didn't didn't make feel like he was he or she was a lifelong friend and that's what's happening here with Paul you want know, to be amazing when we get to heaven i'm going to know paul in heaven i'm going to i'm, I'm going to walk up and say apostle paul give me a hug I won't have this stuff going on. So I won't have to worry about that. But Paul had the opportunity to meet all of these people that he had influenced. The people that say, wow. I I heard him preach once in Thessalonica or I heard him preach in Colossae or or Ephesus. And I ended up here in Rome, and now Paul's here. Well, let's go on and see what Paul does while he's there. Verses 16 through 29. When they entered Rome, Paul allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who was guarding him. And after three days, Paul called together those, the leading men of, Jew, of the Jews, and when they came together, he began saying to them, brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no grounds for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and speak with you. For I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. And they said to him, we have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you your view, what your views are for concerning this sect. It is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. And when they set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus, from, whom, from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning till evening. And some of them were persuaded by the things spoken, but others did not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your father saying, go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and their ears they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart in return, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God, which has been sent to the Gentiles, they will also listen. And when he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among them. And we're going to leave the last two verses. A couple things I want you to see. Paul did not waste any time. Three days he got there. Now this guy has been on a trip, hasn't he? He's now an old man. Well, And I say relatively, because in those days, The life expectancy was not nearly what it is today. He was 60 years old or somewhere about there. He had been stoned to death one time. He had been shipwrecked numerous times. He had been beaten with rods. He had been scourged. He had been through everything imaginable. He had traveled on foot or by sea over 10,000 miles proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was worn out but he was ready to preach the gospel. So three days rest, they find a place for him to lodge. He's placed under house arrest. Uh, This was cost saving because he's going to spend two years waiting to be heard before Caesar. Two years. They didn't want to throw him in jail, have to pay for him, So, so you set it up your own living. We're going to put a squad of Roman soldiers and you're gonna be on house arrest. And what they would do is they would chain one to their wrist and one to their wrist or to uh, wrist to an ankle. And they would literally wear the chains and the Roman soldier would stand right next to him for a six hour shift and then he would be relieved. And, the, and this tells us, we'll see later in this passage, that it was the praetorian guard. It was Caesar's guards that were sent to protect Paul and to stand by him, and make sure he didn't run off. And they were chained to him 24 hours a day for two years. He didn't want to waste any time. So what did Paul do when he, when he got someplace, when he was on his missionary journeys? The first place he went was where? The synagogue. Why? Because Paul loved the Jewish people. And that's where the scrolls were. And he would go in and he would take the scrolls. He would take the Old Testament. He would take the, the prophets. And he would begin reading from those. And then he'd say, let me tell you who this is talking about. It's talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And that was where he'd always start. Matter of fact, in the book of Romans, Paul tells us how much he loves the Jewish people. Romans 9 says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my. Brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory of the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, whose are the fathers and from whom Christ according to the flesh who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Paul had a desire for the Jews to come to Jesus. And so he goes, he can't go to the synagogue, so he sends to the leaders and he brings the synagogue to him. And they tell him, well, you know, he's, he's thinking there's gonna be some Jews that are there to, to carry on the trial against him. There's nobody there to accuse him. And, but they want to know about this sect, as they call it. The way, as it was known at the time. We call it the church. The Holy Spirit working in, in the Jewish people and the Gentile people. They want to know about this. And so they come. And aren't you glad? I'm not like, like Paul. He preached from morning till night. He preaches to them. Where does he start? He started with the people who had knowledge of God. And sometimes that's where we need to start. People who are, we call them seekers. They've got the Word of God, they've been reading it, they're they're curious, they want to know. And Paul starts there. They have the Scriptures and some of them believe not all of them some of them believed and what did paul preach paul preached the hope of israel the hope of what is the hope of israel well paul tells us several times in the book of acts what the hope of israel is in Acts chapter 23, verse 6, it says, but perceiving that one group were Sadducees and other groups were Pharisees. Remember, this is Paul all the way back when he had been arrested in the temple. They almost beat him to death. The Romans saved him, and the next day he comes and he talks to the Sanhedrin and he said, but perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the others were Pharisees, Paul began crying out to the council, brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of Pharisees. I am on trial for the hope and the resurrection of the dead. He said, that's our hope. Jesus said, I'm going away. But what did he say? I will come back. He tells us that we have the hope of the resurrection because he is the resurrected Christ. He is the Messiah. You see, you can go to the grave of every other religious leader in the world and their bones are still there. But you go to the tomb of Jesus, it's empty. He is not there. Where is he? He's at the right hand of God waiting to call us all up. Amen. That's the hope of the resurrection. In chapter 24, Paul says again, but I, but this, I admit to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, having a hope in God. What is the hope which these men themselves cherish that they, there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked? You see, everybody's going to be resurrected one, one day. Those who are resurrected in Christ will live forever and ever in eternity in heaven. And those who are resurrected that never trusted Jesus Christ whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life will live eternally in hell. In Acts chapter 26, Paul says, and now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise Made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God day and night. And for this hope, O king, I am accused by the Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? It's the resurrection that is our hope is the resurrection that's waiting for each and every one of us and we have an obligation in 1 Peter 3 it says but sanctify Christ as lord in your hearts Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks to give an account for what? The hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and resurrection uh, reverence. Paul preached the hope of Israel. We preach the hope of Israel, which is also the hope of the church. We're not going to, this earth, you know what? I don't get overly concerned about climate change. This church has, this this earth has at least a thousand and seven years left by my accounting. Of course, God is the God of restoration. Who knows what He's going to do in that time? But, folks, we have a promise from God that this world as we know it, is not our eternal home. One day it says that the old, old heavens and the old earth will pass away and lo, he will make all things new and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and there we shall dwell, how long? Forever and ever. That's the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul preached. That's what we preach. Why? Because without hope, we are by all people most sad. If there is no hope, what do we have? And that's the one thing as we go out into our community. We have people who have lost hope. We have a hope in Jesus Christ. In his resurrection. Well, I saved the last two verses because this is where we live today. This is our part in the never ending story. And he stayed two full years on his own, renting quarters, and was welcoming all who came to him. And what was he doing? preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. I can imagine Paul when he was talking to the Jews and he said with these, he he was uh, Verse 20, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of the gospel. I can see Paul just taking hold of the chain and going, I'm wearing these chains for the hope of the gospel. But we get to the end and he said, but the gospel is unhindered. Paul couldn't leave his house. People had to come to him and they came to him by droves. You see, Paul began to multiply his ministry by discipleship. While Paul was there, he wrote five books. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. Now, what was Paul doing with those those letters as he wrote? He had young preachers. By count, if we go through each one of those gospels at the end, or each one of those epistles, at the end of each one, he talks about all the people that are hanging out at his house in Rome while he's writing these gospels. There's over 10 of them. 10 young men that he is feeding the gospel into, that he is discipling day by day. He multiplied his ministry. He says, I'm unhindered. I can't go, but you can. And he sends these young preachers out Timothy, Antichous, Aristarchus. One after another. He even takes a slave by the name of Onesimus that gets saved as a runaway slave, and he restores him to his master, Philemon. He begins to disciple these young men. You know, we have the same opportunity. Awanas. Oh, how I love to watch those little ones as they come and they, they, they hear their stories and they memorize their verses, that these are our next generation. We have, we have our Sunday school program. We have our high school program. and junior high school, Pastor Hunter does such a wonderful. We have our young adults ministry. You wanna make an investment? That's where you make the investment. That's what Paul did. He made the investment in those who could go. I remember when I was in uh, first year in college, uh, God took me an odd route to get there. But uh, I went to my first year up in Portland, to a college up in Portland that no longer exists. And I'd come home for the summer to work because uh, my family did not believe in taking out student loans. If God wanted me in school, God was going to pay for it. But I had to help. Amen? Yeah. God doesn't say, you got a free ride. He says, you work, I'll match it. I was sitting at home that summer, uh, got home, it was a Sunday, got home from church, and my uncle called from Fort Smith, Arkansas, Uncle Lauren. and he was talking to mom and dad for a minute, and he said, all of a sudden, they said, Uncle Lauren wants to talk to you. I'm like, Okay. I mean I knew Uncle Loren we would go back and visit every few years but why would Uncle Loren want to talk to me an 18 year old kid 19 years old at the time My Uncle Loren I got on the line he said he said Ben there's a new school back in Lynchburg Virginia and if you'll go there I'll pay your first year's tuition I'm like okay I'm on board and God graciously sent me to Lynchburg. I believe there are people in this church that could take one of our one of our high schoolers, take one of our young adults and say, "Hey, I want to pay for your first year's tuition at a Christian college. Send them to a Christian college where they can get the Bible education they need. And maybe they're going to be one of these that's going to take one of these boxes one day into the deepest, darkest regions. God has blessed me through a missions ministry to, to watch four young people, four, go into full-time Christian ministry. And it's been one of the greatest honors I've ever had to get those letters back from them, That they're here or they're there and to watch as God uses them. We can do that here. We can multiply our ministry by discipleships. But I want you to see this is the other part is sometimes God gives us a captive audience. Those Roman soldiers. This is easy duty. I don't mind this guy's not a bad, bad guy that's you know cursing and swearing. This guy's a pretty nice guy. Matter of fact, most of the time, all I have to do is sit with this chain on my arm and listen to him talk. And that's what Paul did. He just went on preaching like they weren't even there. But he knew they were listening. And I can imagine, this, you know, this is the way your pastor thinks. Can you imagine what it was like to be that Roman soldier coming in for the midnight to 6 a.m. shift? Comes in and he puts the chain on his arm and puts it on, and Paul rolls over, gets down on his knees beside his bed, Starts praying, and this guy's like, gone oh, on man. And then Paul stops, and he says, how can I pray for you? And this guy goes, what? God loves you. You've heard what I've preached. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who your cohorts, nailed to a cross, and he died on the cross in Jerusalem. But he rose again three days later. And the Roman soldiers all heard the story. They knew it was true. The disciples didn't carry Jesus off. Those Roman soldiers knew enough to stay out of sight, but the story went through the Roman soldiers' They knew it was true. And this young Roman soldier standing beside Paul begins to weep. He said, Paul, my family is in disarray. Remember where he lived. He lived in Rome where where promiscuity, where evil was everywhere, where the emperor would light Christians on fire to, to light the way. He would feed them to the lions. And, and evil was everywhere. He said, my daughter's a prostitute. My son is, I haven't seen him. He goes off on these drunken sprees. Paul would gently pull the chain. and says, come down, kneel with me, son. And he would begin praying for him, And pretty soon, that young soldier would say, Paul, can I know the same Jesus you know? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And he would begin praying. And they would pray to receive Christ. How do we know this? Philippians tells us. And now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known where? Throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear these young Praetorian soldiers began to go out and they began to share the gospel in the Roman world that they knew. And at the end of Philippians, he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of who? Caesar's household. The gospel was unhindered. You see, that's one of the things we forget, that when we have the power of God, it doesn't matter what our circumstances are. It doesn't matter whether we're we're in prison or we have a chain attached to a Roman soldier. It doesn't matter what's happening in our life. Jesus Christ knows exactly where you are, and Jesus Christ says, I want you to share with that person. I want you to share with them, Jesus. Jesus. Folks, I can tell you there were many, many nights. Usually it was the night shift when God came. There were many nights when I would sit in my patrol car with a bad guy in the back seat. Now, we weren't allowed to write out, share the gospel, but there were a lot of times when I would just say, you know what, you've got to quit this. You're you're killing yourself. These were men and women that I had seen over and over again in my law enforcement career. I actually arrest the grandson of a man I arrested at the beginning of my career. And I watched that happen and I would just say, and normally it was just a word. God has something for you. All you have to do is let him and years later my wife will attest to this how many times people would walk up to me on the street and say you know who I am I'd say yes I do you know the last time you saw me yeah I arrested you in, the, in a stolen car or I picked you up for drugs or I, I picked you up for this or that and they would say you know what well, you said to me and I said I haven't a clue They would look at me and they would say, tell me what I said. They said, you know, it was those words. You treated me like somebody who was a human, like somebody who had hope, somebody who had a future, which nobody else would treat me like that. It says, because of that, I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I did my prison time. I got clean and sober. And now I'm married and have a family. And I'm raising my family. We're going to church. God is blessing our family. We never know what we're going to do. But the gospel is unhindered. It's a never-ending story. All we have to do is let God work through us to those. And we never know who it's going to be. We have to be always ready to share the hope that is within us. We're going to come now to our time of communion. And as we do, I want you to uh, just think about, God, who is it it out there? Who is that person you have ready for me to minister to? to touch, to share the gospel. Maybe it's somebody in the cubicle next to you and you can't, you know, they're the ones you can't move away from. God has you there for a reason. We have communion in the middle of the back two corners and the front two corners. The cups are stacked with the wafer at the bottom the juice at the top. There's gluten-free options in the middle of each tray. The hope that is within us. I I don't know about you. But I don't know where I would be if I didn't have the hope of Jesus Christ. And we have that. And we can't just hold on to it. We have to share it.